Hi, my name is Shailesh Singh and I make videos and podcasts on all things in cardiology. General cardiology, cardiovascular interventions, cardiovascular imaging, recent advances in cardiology, recent controversies in cardiology. So make sure to subscribe to Cardioid YouTube channel and podcast for more of that. In this episode of Cardioid, we'll be talking about the procedural aspects of PCI, which were discussed in 2021 guidelines for myocardial revascularization given by ACC, AHA, and SCAI vascular access. In patients with ACS undergoing PCI, a radial approach is indicated in preference to femoral approach to reduce the risk of death, vascular complications, or bleeding. And this is class 1 recommendation. In patients with a stable ischemic heart disease undergoing PCI, the radial approach is recommended to reduce the risk of access side bleeding and vascular complications. And this is class 1 recommendation. So, why radial first in ACS? Transradial approach offers the advantage of earlier time to ambulation, lower rate of vascular and bleeding complications, and improved cardiovascular outcome in patients with acute coronary syndrome. Radial and femoral approaches have been compared in three trials, matrix trial, rival trial, and safari STEMI trial. Matrix trial, the matrix trial demonstrated that there was a significantly lower rate of primary endpoint of net adverse clinical events in patients with ACS who are randomized to transradial approach than those randomized to transfemoral approach. The net clinical adverse events were a composite of 30-day death, non-fatal myocardial infarction, stroke, non-CABG-related major bleeding. This difference was primarily because of a lower rate of bleeding and a lower 30-day mortality rate. Rival trial was another trial which demonstrated a lower mortality rate at 30 days with radial approach. The Safari Streaming trial, however, found that there was no difference in 30-day mortality rate between the radial and the femoral axis. This trial was stopped early for its utility and it had enrolled less than 50% of its plant sample size. So, based on the results of these the results of matrix and rival trial, we know that in patients with ACS, transradial approach significantly reduces bleeding, vascular side complications, and reduces mortality. And in patients undergoing PCI without ACS, transradial approach significantly reduces bleeding and vascular access side complications, but has not been shown to significantly reduce the risk of mortality of stent type. In patients undergoing PCI, drug eluting stents should be used in preference to bare metal stent to prevent restenosis, myocardial infarction, or acute stent thrombosis. And this is class 1 recommendation. This is self-explanatory by itself and it is currently the standard of care. What we already know is that current generation drug eluting stents are better than first generation drug eluting stents or bare metal stents. Also, durable polymer drug eluting stents are better than biodegradable polymer drug eluting stents, which are in turn better than bare metal stents. The use of bare metal stents is reserved for very unusual circumstances, such as extremely short duration dual antiplatelet therapy, that is less than one month. Intravascular imaging. In patients undergoing coronary stent implantation, IVUS can be used for procedural guidance especially in case of left main or complex coronary intervention to reduce ischemic events. And this is class 2A recommendation. In patients undergoing coronary stent implantation, 
OCT is a reasonable alternative to IVUS for procedural guidance except in osteal left wing lesion and this is class 2A recommendation. In patients with stent failure, IVUS or OCT is reasonable to determine the mechanism of stent failure and this is again class 2A recommendation. We'll talk about IVUS and OCT in separate videos. We'll confine ourselves to discussion on these guidelines only. So, we already know that intracoronary imaging is useful to guide coronary stent implantation, especially in patients with left main disease or complex coronary lesions. One advantage that IVUS offers over OCTs, it provides us with full thickness visibility of the vessel wall. OCT, on the other hand, has a limited depth of imaging. OCT also requires periodic contrast injection and it can be very difficult to use it in patients with underlying kidney disease. Various trials have compared IVAS guided PCI with angiographic guided PCI. The ultimate trial was the largest trial which compared IVAS guided PCI with angiography guided PCI and it found that there was a lower rate of target vessel failure with IVAS guided PCI. The target vessel failure included cardiac death, target vessel infarction, and clinically driven target vessel revascularization. The trial found that at three years, there was a significant lower rate of stent thrombosis and target vessel revascularization with IVAS guided PCI. Multiple trials have shown the benefits of IVAS guided PCI in patients with long lesions, CTOs, and left main stenting. OCT has been evaluated in three trials, Illumin trial, Opinion trial, and Doctor's trial. All these three were non-inferiority trials. In the Illumin trial, OCT-guided PCI was compared with IVAS-guided PCI. In the Doctor's trial, OCT-guided PCI was compared with coronary angiography-guided PCI. Illumin trial showed the non-inferiority of OCT compared with IVAS with respect to the primary endpoint of post-PCI minimal stent area with similarly low rates of post-procedural major adverse cardiovascular events. Opinion trial also demonstrated the non-inferiority of OCT compared with IVAS-guided PCI for the endpoint of cardiac death, target vessel MI, or ischemia-driven target lesion revascularization at one year. The doctor's trial compared the angiographic PCI and the OCT-PCI and found that OCT-guided PCI resulted in improved post-PCI FFR. OCT has a very high resolution, but it has poor in-depth vessel wall characterization. So it is a very good investigation for understanding stent-related mechanisms of stent failure. Whereas IVAS has got a very poor resolution. However, it has got very good in-depth vessel wall characterization. Both of these can be useful for evaluating the mechanisms of in-strength restenosis and strength thrombosis. Thrombectomy. In patients with ST segment elevation MI, routine thrombus aspiration before primary PCI is not useful. And this is class 3 recommendation. Many patients with ST segment elevation MI have thrombotic occlusion of the infarct-related artery. So anything which can debulk the thrombus burden will naturally be considered an attractive option for patients undergoing primary PCI. The TAPAS trial was a single center study and it found that routine thrombus aspiration improved the microvascular perfusion and also there was a significant reduction in long-term mortality in patients who underwent routine thrombus aspiration.
However, the randomized multicentric trial, like Total and Tapas, did not demonstrate the benefits of routine thrombus aspiration during PCI. These trials also found that there was a higher risk of stroke associated with routine thrombus aspiration. Treatment of calcified lesions In patients with fibrotic or heavily calcified lesion, plaque modification with rotational atherectomy can be useful to improve procedural success. And this is class 2A recommendation. In patients with fibrotic or heavily calcified lesion, plaque modification with orbital etherectomy, balloon etherectomy, laser angioplasty or intracoronary lithotripsy may be considered to improve procedural success and this is class 2B recommendation. Fibrotic or heavily calcified lesions can hinder the stint expansion. Trials have shown that rotational etherectomy can provide us with enhanced stint delivery and stint expansion in heavily calcified lesions compared to conventional balloons. Treatment of SVG disease or treatment of coronary artery disease in patients with previous CABG. In patients with previous CABG undergoing PCI of a SVG, use of embolic protection device when technically feasible is reasonable to avoid the risk of distal embolization. And this is class 2A recommendation. In patients with previous CABG, if PCI of a diseased native coronary artery is feasible, then it is reasonable to choose PCI of native coronary artery over PCI of severe calcified, severely diseased SVG. And this is again class 2A recommendation. In patients with a chronic total occlusion of a SVG graft, percutaneous revascularization of the SVG should not be performed and this is class 3 recommendation. Compared to the native coronary arteries, atherosclerotic plaque in the SVG graft are more diffuse and have thinner and more friable fibrous caps and there is risk of distal debris embolization during PCI. Patients who undergo SVG PCI are more likely to have no reflow, stent thrombosis, ischemia driven revascularization and overall increased major adverse cardiovascular events and increased risk of death as compared to the patients who underwent non-SVG PCI. Embolic protection devices for SVG PCI. Embolic protection devices refers to a group of devices which are designed to prevent distal embolization. We'll be discussing about embolic protection devices in our future videos and podcasts in details. But for now, let us confine ourselves to the guidelines only. Safer trial compared the SVG PCI with an embolic protection devices with conventional SVG PCI. And it found that there was significant reduction of primary endpoint of death, myocardial infarction, urgent bypass and target lesion revascularization at 30 days. It tested guard-wired distal embolic protection device. Similarly, FIRE trial tested the strategy of using distal protection with filter wire device and this trial was done in around 650 patients in which half of the patients received filter wire EX and half of the patients received guard wire balloon occlusion device. The trial found that there was similar epicardial flow and angiographic complication rate between the two groups. There was lower use of bailout GP2B3A inhibitors in filter wire group. Both groups had similar major adverse cardiovascular events at 30 days. The procedural adverse events still occurred in approximately 10% of the patients undergoing SVG PCI. Besides these trials, overall data has shown that there is no benefit of using embolic protection devices for patients undergoing SVG PCI. Treatment of CTO 
In patients with suitable anatomy who have refractory anginal medical therapy after treatment of non-CTO lesions, the benefits of PCI of a CTO to improve symptoms is uncertain. And this is class 2B recommendation. CTOs can be found in approximately one-fourth of the patients undergoing coronary angiography. Things that should be remembered in patients undergoing CTO-PCI is that 30-day mortality after a CTO-PCI is 1.3% and perforations can occur in 5% of the cases undergoing CTO-PCI. The EXPLORE and REVASC trials did not find any improvement in ventricular functions with CTO-PCI versus optimal medical therapy. The EUROCTO trial demonstrated a greater reduction in angina frequency and improved quality of life with PCI of a CTO than with optimal medical therapy. The decision CTO trial was a much larger trial and it did not demonstrate any difference in symptoms or clinical outcomes with a CTO-PCI. That is why the recommendation for a CTO-PCI is class 2B. Treatment of patients with stent restenosis. In patients who develop instant restenosis or ISR for whom repeat PCI is planned, a drug-eluting stent should be used to improve outcomes if anatomic factors are appropriate and patient is able to comply with dual antiplatelet therapy. And this is class 1 recommendation. In patients with symptomatic recurrent diffuse ISR, with an indication for revascularization, CABG can be useful over repeat PCI to reduce recurrent events. And this is class 2A recommendation. In patients who develop recurrent ISR, brachytherapy may be considered to improve symptoms. And this is class 2B recommendation. ISR can be present in 5 to 10% of patients undergoing PCI. We have previously talked about ISR in one of our episodes. I'll be posting the link of that podcast and video in the description. PCI for ISR with a drug eluting stent has been found to be associated with lowest rates of restenosis and target vessel revascularization. Of the different stent types, Avrolimus eluting stents have been found to have best efficacy. If patients have recurrent episodes of restenosis, Despite repeated PCI with drug eluting stents, or in patients who have diffuse instant restenosis in large vessels, or complex presentations such as CTO with multivessel disease, CABG may be the preferred approach provided the anatomy is suitable. If the patient already has multiple stent layers or has recurrent ISR and the anatomy is unfavorable for another layer of drug eluting stent, or the patient is not a good candidate for bypass surgery, then vascular brachytherapy may be an additional option for patients' hemodynamic support for complex PCI. In selected high-risk patients, elective insertion of an appropriate hemodynamic support device as an adjunct to PCI may be reasonable to prevent hemodynamic compromise during PCI. And this is class 2B recommendation. Patients undergoing complex PCI are at risk of hypotension, decompensated heart failure, shock, or arrhythmia. All these may lead to rapid hemodynamic deterioration or death. IABP or Impella are two devices which are routinely used to provide hemodynamic support. The other devices which can be used are ECMO and Tandem Heart. IABP provides very minimal hemodynamic support for PCI but improves coronary and cerebral perfusion. 
It is easy to use and of all the hemodynamic support devices, it has got a small catheter diameter and that is why there is lower rate of vascular access site complications. Mpilla provides greater left ventricular support. We'll talk about these devices in details in future episodes. Let us confine ourselves to these guidelines only. The routine use of hemodynamic support devices for complex PCI has not been shown to reduce cardiovascular events. In the BCIS1 trial, there was no difference in the primary composite outcome of death, MI, cerebrovascular events, or repeat revascularization with IABP. IABP group had lower rates of hypotension. The PROTECT2 trial compared MPELA with IABP in patients undergoing high risk PCI. This trial was halted for its futility and uh, an interim analysis found that there was no benefit in the primary endpoint of major adverse cardiovascular events. Newer hemodynamic devices are undergoing evaluation in various clinical trials and maybe in future episodes we'll be talking about them. This was the discussion on general procedural issues for PCI as per the 2021 ACC AHA SCAI Coronary Revascularization Guidelines. You are listening to Cardioid and we'll meet again in the next episode.